Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole to find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Golden, and my guest this week is Dan Matashevsky, the co-founder of CMS Holdings. It's been a busy few weeks in crypto, and Dan joins us today for a quick check-in on the view from his seat as a trader. This episode is shorter than usual, but it's action-packed as we discuss how the markets have digested the cases against Binance and Coinbase. This is the second time I've spoken to Dan on the show, who I think is one of the wittiest and smartest voices in the industry. Please enjoy my conversation with Dan Matashevsky. Dan, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's just start with performance. Over the past three months, stocks are up, depending on the S&P or NASDAQ, 10 to 19%. Bonds are up 1% to 2%. And Bitcoin's up 26%. ETH's up 18%. That's over the past three months. So we're thinking more short-term or medium-term here. If you had known the headlines before they were coming out, I'm not sure you would have thought that the crypto prices would have held up as well. We've got huge headlines across the market. So let's check in with you and see what's going on right now. Most of the carnage has been in the longer tail of stuff. That's a function of the SEC hitting everything and everything that isn't Bitcoin or ETH in some capacity, or at least throwing a lot of question into it and whether or not they will bring action. So Bitcoin and ETH are a little bit in their own world, Bitcoin in particular. Bitcoin's the most definite one that doesn't have SEC purview. ETH is probably the closest second. That obviously comes into question at times, though it seems pretty solidified in my mind that that's fine. So they're okay. Everything else is really just getting pummeled, especially over the last week or so after they brought the Coinbase and Binance actions. It's off a pretty depressed level from the lows. We haven't gone lower than the FTX sell-off. And that was a low print on Bitcoin. Seems to be in the past for us, though you never really know. The rest of the industry hasn't put in new lows, but it's getting clobbered pretty hard, especially in Bitcoin terms and everything. So there's definitely been that dynamic going on. And then there's going to be some more de-risking from some market participants that can't structurally hold those names while they're under questions. That's been a problem. That's the immediacy that we've seen at all. So Friday night, was it Friday night or Saturday night where that big dump happened? It was Friday night. So Friday night, the market closes and then the alts drop 30 to 40%. It seemed like a big mega trade. What were your takes on that? So there's a couple things that hit the tape, but they weren't at that time frame. So the exact time of why stuff sold off is a little unclear. But the Robinhood said they were going to like give users the ability to withdraw or sell the assets, Matic, Solana, ADA, a handful of stuff. Either way, you're going to have to get off Robinhood. So they were delisting them. And then people started doing the math of what percentage is going to get sold. 
look, if you do this to people, just chuck it. They just don't want to deal with it or they don't want to take delivery. They don't want to fund another exchange. That's some pressure. But the bigger issue is this is happening with Robinhood. Now, like, what's the other potential players that have the same logic? This thing's in SEC crosshairs. We can't hold it structurally. SoFi, I think, did the same thing with their same basket of names. So yeah, they got forced a big sell-off and a lot of alts. Yeah, I don't have a real catalyst. It happened at that time. The tape was weak, and then I think it just hit a pocket of licks, and people blew up. A lot of deleveraging happened, a lot of forced liquidations. Stuff wicked down and then bounced back a little bit, still below where it was going in Friday night. There's been a lot of movement of those coins to exchanges. That's sort of you expect, and we did expect some stuff to get sold off. But I don't know. In terms of why it pushed that hard, that fast at that time, Stuff's so illiquid right now, it could really just be one counterparty just being like, hey, we have to shock a couple hundred million dollars of exposure and that would do it. Especially like in those names. The liquidity is pretty terrible and it's going to be worse probably going forward. It's been getting worse every week for this year. It's going to take a material of digger, I think, now that the exchanges are named in these actions. That combo of stuff just pushed it down really fast. We've talked in the past that with the banks exiting the space, the, the problem of major money movers to be able to create and redeem over the weekends or at night potentially change this market to trade more traditionally. So is it normal to see that low liquidity over the weekend or is that just at an all-time low? It's a couple of things. The liquidity is always worse on the weekends, but then it's even worse because at least it seems that some of the market makers who straddle TradFi in some capacity or have some exposure to other asset classes, but also provide liquidity in crypto are either exiting or at least definitely cutting exposure to venues and how much they have out there been a reduction in liquidity everywhere. The books are just more liquid. But this has been a trend that's going on for a while. I just do think Coinbase and Binance having these actions against them has just accelerated a little bit of it. So it was Jump and Jane Street that headlines announcing either pulling back or leaving the market. Was it all at once or did you notice they were filling that void of providing market making services? I don't think so. I don't think there's anybody really moving in. And it's also... It would be harder for existing market makers that are sticking around to scale up to fill the void because there's no borrow left. After all, the bilateral lenders got toasted. It's not that easy to just be like, well, I can fill this void and do this larger because you really can't get access to the capital to do it. Is there anyone with leverage left to make markets? I mean, there's some bespoke borrow out there, but the real sources of liquidity for the lending market are gone. So I guess what does that do to the liquidity of books, at least during this time period until this is figured out? It's just going to be bad. It's going to be bad for the foreseeable future. When people say that, I know the retort is, oh, that should be huge markets. You're going to have a dislocation. bid ass spread is going to blow out. So then people are going to have a lot of opportunity to make money. Do you subscribe to that? I think that's BS. I think that's true. The crypto market in general is pretty much in a lull. There's not a ton of people looking to do things. But let's say if you have a big wave of interest and adoption and people are trying to come in. And then, yeah, then there's going to be a great opportunity because there'll be a lot of trading volume and there'll be a real spread on it. The thing is also volumes are really low. There's nobody's doing anything either way. So if, yeah, fine, you might be collecting more, but you're doing it on a smaller base trading volume. What are you seeing from the institutional trading side? I know most people are already internationally based. Are people moving if they were here in any sort or has it always been more of an international trading game? Most of the large shops have some presence overseas. You hear of people moving their whole operations there. I haven't seen it yet, but I do think people are debating most of the larger shops completely offshore. What's your take? So let's get to the cases. You got the Binance SEC headline, the SEC Coinbase headline the next day. It seems like the Binance case is a little bit messier. There's allegations of fraud and money movement and commingling. Binance seems to be the case that everybody's been waiting for, which is the, is a token of security test. Yeah, so I think it's worth noting that both of these were pretty well broadcast. Coinbase straight up said it, forget when, but it was on the order of two or three months ago. 
You got a Wells notice. And like everybody's like, all right, this is going to happen. So this wasn't super surprising. I think people were upset about the names that were mentioned as securities and thing, but I don't know. They had to put something. Just because they put it in there doesn't mean it is. It's enough of a concern. The Binance one also, same thing. The CFTC complaint was pretty clear that it was going to be an SEC complaint as well. There's a lot of things in the CFTC one. We were like, all right, this will also fall in SEC's land. While those things were somewhat known, it's still the market didn't see them. They didn't like some of the aggression in it. I think the bigger thing now is, hey, will there be a DOJ case tacked on to the Binance? I'm not a lawyer, but people are saying that there's a lot of things that rise to the level of criminality potentially mentioned in there that would be a DOJ. So I think that's the big one everyone's waiting around for. We're recording this week. It's June 12th. And that's really been the rumor of what everyone came into this week waiting for was if there was going to be a DOJ headline. Yeah, to be fair, when the CTC one came out, they felt the same. Everyone was like, this isn't entirely new. You feel much more that it will happen. And it's a matter of like when as opposed to if. Then the thing is going to be, all right, what does this mean? Does this mean Binance just completely walls off like the US even more so than they're doing and they just don't deal with this? Or do they pay a settlement and they find a way to go forward? It's unclear. I don't think Binance US survives. It seems like that's pretty much done. Maybe they find a way to just offer Bitcoin and ETH. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like there's a world that that's coming out the other side of this. Let's think about back to when you were trading in prior cycles where you had these different international markets and people were trying to move stuff around. If the U.S. just hypothetically becomes more isolated for the next couple of years while this is litigated, what happens to global liquidity? Do you think you see a disconnect where in some Asian market or European market in London, Bitcoin's now the quoted price and the U.S. price is wacky compared to it? The only thing that really does that is if the banking gets banged up. If it actually becomes impossible to face exchanges in dollars, then yeah, then you have a problem. But as long as the pipes are still flowing, it'll get edged out. I'm not too worried about that unless there's a real ramp up, even more so than we already are on the ability for exchanges to facilitate the U.S. banking system. And how would you compare when prior actions people were discussing when XRP was first notified? It was an immediate runaway. But this time you have some exchanges delisting, other ones saying we're here for fighting it. How does it feel in prior actions where the government got involved? I think it's just because the exchanges are the ones. Let's say, for instance, there hadn't been an action against Binance or Coinbase or anything like that. And the SEC just came out and they're like, we think Solana is a security. The same way they do with XRP. I think Coinbase would be listed. I just think now that I'm the one being hit here. What am I supposed to do? They don't have any preventative measure they can do. That's very much how it's different. And also, I think Coinbase views this as a little bit of an existential threat. They have to deal with this. This is not something they can just be like, all right, what's the risk reward? The risk is like you just don't operate at all. No, it definitely feels like in you know, traditional finance, you might have a Wells notice, and then the SEC does this investigation with a bank, they settle some huge penalty, and then they admit no wrongdoing, and they get back to running their business. This does not seem like that type of case this time. It's very much like the future of their business and what they're able to do. You mentioned the tokens listed, and obviously people are reacting to them. Are you saying that people trade those differently than the tokens that weren't listed? Yeah, the ones that were named in the complaints fell harder than ones not. It was pretty clear. Do you think that's mostly a function of the forced selling, or is that also whatever remaining liquidity was been evaporating for those tokens? I think it's both. I think you get hit on it. People pull back, people don't make the market, and people have to sell, or they want to reduce their exposure. So what are you doing nowadays? Are you starting to play more golf, or what are you actually trading? I haven't played in golf yet. We do still do some stuff. Our biggest issue is maintaining exchange connectivity, and I spent a lot of time this year just getting banking over and over again, and continuously having banks fail. So there's been a lot of operational things that's gotten done. A lot of it also is starting to look at DeFi as like a potential only execution way. That's not a great opportunity, but we're spending a lot of time on it. We're doing a fair amount on there. Makes it a lot harder. There's a lot of challenges there. 
but we built out a fair amount of infrastructure. We burn like a couple of developer heads on that now. What percentage, whether it's market or broad numbers, is DeFi versus centralized training? In aggregate, I don't know. It's hard to know because the exchange volumes are a little iffy sometimes, but for us, it's 5%. It's that. Obviously, you guys are doing it. You can go wherever you want. But on the institutional side, have you seen any more interest in it? No, opposite, really. It's gotten like, very quiet. It's just really hard if you live in a world where they're saying a lot of the L1s are potentially securities to be comfortable with being, oh, well, what about name your favorite DeFi? That looks a lot more. Even the case for the institutional side to be touching DeFi gets harder. You mentioned that the tokens they selected, someone posted a tweet, you searched Coinbase, you would have ended up with a list and, and that matched. That picture was in the case, but then the Binance list was different than the Coinbase case. So there was some overlap of which ones are definitely in their crosshair. I'm not sure. The really bad way would be like they actually have pending action against all those. And they're like, use that list. Or it could just be they grabbed the first 12 that showed up or something. It's unclear. They're going to have to explain that. But they did just grab a random handful. But they've done this before, too. When they brought that other case against the insider trading guy. At Coinbase? Yeah. There was six assets that they claimed were securities as part of the case. But they were very random. And I get that they were the ones he traded. But there wasn't a lot of continuity of why those were selected, in my opinion, at the time. Because they were all very small. Didn't get as much outroar. I felt that this is the most powerful case because it obviously got everyone's attention by naming everything on the top except for Ethereum, which I think people find it's interesting whether it's legal or not. I know it's not potentially precedent, but I would have thought that if the case that they made on CNBC was we only need one of these to be a security to get our other case one, I actually would have expected to see some random altcoin that I'd never heard of. They probably don't even have lawyers behind it or something. It was interesting to me that they went after some of the largest names that probably do have the funding and have been working on this presumably for a period of time. Well, I think they're also trying to kick the hornet's nest. I think they're trying to cause a little outrage. Why? Because I think there's a part of US policy that just views this industry as a nuisance. I hear you. And I've been trying to think regulation by banning something or getting someone so fired up. It's a powerful move. But I do wonder if it's something you can completely backfire in your face. I know everyone's bearish and it's a winter and everyone's worried now. But it does seem to me that if you push so far, you get someone to an existential threat where there's no settlement. Now it's one way of the future or another way. You end up with a really brutal outcome, not just for the industry you're trying to ban, but potentially losing the regulatory oversight over getting in front of a judge who says, no, that's officially not a security. And this is where the lines start and stop. Yeah. I mean, but it's got to happen eventually. So you're excited for it? I don't know. It's going to be a bit. This stuff's not going to get solved in the next couple of years. I don't think. Unless Congress actually does not seem that they do. So what's your timeline on when we get some resolution of which way we're going? If you made me a market on 18 months, I'd probably take the over. Okay. What if I made you a market on 24 months? I would still take the over. 36? I'd probably take the under. So somewhere between. Somewhere between two and three. That's my guess. I mean, when was Ripple? It feels like five years ago. Ripple was, call it the fall of 2020, I want to say. So we're three years into that now. Yeah. And that's against the protocol itself. See, the thing with the exchanges, though, is they have a real clear business reason to settle. So that's like the one thing of making that existential. Whereas if you go against a bank like Wells Fargo or something with opening up the bank accounts on behalf of people, it was bad. But they knew they had to find a resolution of some sort to get their business back. Here, it would have seemed to me that the exchanges potentially would have settled for a huge number to get clarity, but that just doesn't seem in the cards from this type of regulatory regime. Unless they think settling would make it so impossible to operate going forward, right? If Coinbase is like, we can only trade Bitcoin and ETH, potentially, then we don't have a business. Or they definitely don't have a business that's the public valuation that it's at now, that's for sure. 
So if Bitcoin and ETH make up 90% of the market cap, what do you think it makes up of trading volume on those exchanges? I know we don't see the data, but... I don't know. It's probably about the same. It's probably pretty close. It does feel like they're fighting for the industry's existence. Obviously, their business is completely intertwined with the industry's existence. I totally agree with you. But also like Bitcoin and Ether, you don't make a ton of money trading them anymore. They're very much commoditized, pun intended. It's very cheap and easy to offer that. Coinbase's bread and butter is still charging very high retail trading fees, but that would be much harder for them to defend as a business. So you're starting to explore DeFi. What else? Are you starting to collect NFTs now and start hanging up on your walls? What else are you doing? Now, how is the NFT world? I haven't even delved into that. Is it having its same existential crisis? Yes and no. It definitely feels out of the fray a little bit because obviously there's no one bringing an SEC case against a bunch of animal pictures, but definitely the demand, the fall off of everything has happened across the board. So it's a winter lull everywhere. I think that the good news is that the people that were really excited about stuff and wanted to participate obviously stay around. It definitely does clear out the people that showed up and had grifts or scams. I do like that the noise has turned down. I feel like you meet more interesting people that actually are trying to figure out what to do with this stuff and less people that are here to go raise a token for themselves. Now, the whole meme coin thing, that felt like it was a complete opposite direction of the quiet down phase. Yeah, that's what happens when people are bored, though, that are here. It's bored, but thankfully, we're both not lawyers. But it feels extremely dangerous to be doing something like that. I mean, the whole anonymous thing, obviously, the only thing I found interesting with Bitcoin is that part of the strong argument has been, well, the anonymity saved all, which I always thought was super interesting in a lot of ways. And obviously it is the beginning of everything, but it's a weird thing to celebrate. It's like, oh, that works. So if a bunch of people launch a piece of protocol, but you never know who they are. And if you don't have a Twitter account, and if you don't have a presale, and you find a way to just bootstrap yourself, then technically you're a commodity. I don't know about that, but closer to it than not, it's tough. I want to see the industry find a way forward. I want to see some sort of regulation that allows people to build stuff. However, I guess this gets this other point of this Bitcoin maxis being happy about all these cases. I think that's where I'm going is that I always wonder if they ever regret saying Bitcoin was definitely not a security because it began to create this, okay, well, if that isn't, then what else isn't question is my point. I always wonder if the regulatory stance on that was, this is pretty clear, not a security and we got to throw these people a bone. So we'll give them this. In my mind, everyone just ran with it and they took it further. And now they are like bringing this thing back in. I don't know. It was interesting that like Gensler's latest thing that he sent to CNBC even didn't include Bitcoin as being useful. We already have digital currencies and they're like the dollar and euro. And yet, like you didn't even mention Bitcoin this time. I think that's why they did the futures ETF. It was, you guys shut up now, but then they didn't. I think they're getting more hostile though, I would say. A lot of people lost a lot of money. And they're like, this whole thing, this industry is a nuisance. We got to just clean this up. There's definitely that line of thought among certain people in government. Obviously, you have FTX, you have scams, you have grifters in the space all the time. There hasn't been any industry that popped up and there was so much wealth creation and destruction so rapidly. And the things pass a lot of people's duck tests where if you're not in crypto, let's just say you can lay out the best legal argument and say this isn't a security. And then you show someone your Coinbase account or whatever, you open up an exchange and you see this thing in a portfolio and it's trading, it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it must be a duck. For the average person, I don't think they're spending as much time in the space trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And so it seems to me like public narrative is one way. And that's why Gunther's on CNBC and making up TikTok videos. However, when you get in front of a judge, you have to point to case law and precedent to say why this is a security or why it isn't. That's a whole different game. I think this is going to be much different in the court. You've been in it much longer than me. This idea that the Bitcoin maxis are happy that this is all happening, that's like a cleaning and purification of the system and that Bitcoin is untouchable and that this is all good for Bitcoin. 
So I think my counter to that is like, there's been a tremendous amount of capital inflow into the larger ecosystem from things non-Bitcoin related. And if you lose that, I think the net is it's probably a drag on Bitcoin anyway. That's my counter. I've tried to read through some of the arguments. It feels a bit more religious. It's like if you believe that there's going to be a world that Bitcoin actually replaces via currency, and that's the inevitability, then this is all the sideshow to get there. But if you don't agree on that original maxim, then it's hard to have the same path. No, it reminds me of people trading precious metals in the woods of a state or something and saying, we have our own currency and we don't have to worry about the dollar, the yen, or the euro. That's all true, but there's only so many people in the woods trading precious metals. It's very much a gold analogy. It's not like history was created with this cohort of people. And what's your take on the private market? Are there infrastructure plays? Are there new technologies that you're interested in that are either related to trading or around that space that are enticing you? There's like a handful of people that are looking to raise effectively aggregators to venues now. Here's the problem. Getting access to the exchanges is becoming harder. There's like a lot of people who are building intermediaries to it. My concern with all of them, though, is they were mentioned in the CFTC complaint against finance, not by name, but the functionality. And I'm not entirely sure that that's going to work as a path, but that is a piece of infrastructure that people are trying to actively build out right now. And how does that work? There's one main relationship at all the exchanges, and then they become customers of a secondary piece of software? Usually, they'll set up a prime brokerage model where you face the prime and then they face the exchange. Some of them let you actually open an API sub-account on an exchange and execute that way. Sort of the same idea, though, is you face them and not the exchange. And so prime brokerage would be a good thing to see added. Obviously, Genesis was the biggest. That didn't go well because of a lot of reasons. But do you see that as a possible business model that could work? I don't know if regulatory-wise that's going to work. I don't know if... The U.S. regulators are going to be like, oh, you face this prime instead of Binance. That's okay. I don't know if that's ever going to be kosher. Prime brokerage in general, I think, said the problem is you have to take exposure to all these exchanges and they blow up a lot. It's just, it's tough. Okay, so we got aggregators. Are there other areas of tech? You mentioned DeFi. What part of DeFi are you interested in? We've always been involved in the DEXs on the derivatives. We always thought that as an angle. That has like not been working great as a trade, but we're still pretty involved in it. Are you involved in trading on the DEXs or owning the DEXs themselves? Both. We trade a fair amount on them and try to provide liquidity. And then we own the underlines. Have you seen any volume? Obviously, it was anemic anyways, but have you seen any positive game in volume trends? Or is it still decreasing? Or is it flatlined? I think it's pretty stable as a percentage of the open interest for the derivatives. The thing is, there's a world where, all right, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but let's say Binance shots. That volume goes somewhere. Does it go to DeFi or does it go to the next... Asian exchange. What really has happened is it's gone to the next Asian exchange. It has not creeped into DeFi in mass. When you look at back to kind of your market thoughts for people are trying to trade, maybe this is their first bear market, they've been through something. You've talked a lot about surviving or existing. What do you tell people who haven't been through this type of period and just went through this massive boom bust cycle? It doesn't have to be the entirety of what you're doing. The one thing I tell the junior guys is you're going to get periods where there's nothing going on or there's not a ton of opportunity. Take that time because you're going to want it when the market's flying and you have nothing to do and you're angry that there's a bull market now. Take the time when you get it. So CMS is just taking a lot more vacation time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, take it now. We don't need you. What will you be looking for? The things you're monitoring, your green shoots. Obviously, we've set out your timeline. We have 24 to 36 months before we get any regulatory cover. But are there things in the market that you look to if this starts to pick up again, then you'll bring the guys back from vacation and say, it's time. You see a spark of real interest in any region, whether it's Asia, the US, Europe, for whatever reason, in some sub pocket, you'll see it. It'll be pretty quick. It'll be apparent. And then you're like, all right, we got something going on again. 
before we wrap up with you, what are the positive things that you're seeing across crypto, maybe globally? So I think stablecoin issuance for Tether is still going up. USDC has gone down. Most of it's gone into Tether, but like there's still demand. Stablecoins haven't cratered the same way we saw in like 2018. So I think that's interesting. Hopefully that's not for like some nefarious reason. But there does seem to be some public interest in Hong Kong and potentially larger China towards courting some of these businesses to come. That's been the most hostile regime, and that seems to be becoming less hostile. I'm not fully sold on it yet. Like I'm always skeptical of anything coming out of that region because it has been so harsh in the past. So I don't know. That's like a positive. It's like, all right, maybe like this is loosening up a little bit. Other than that, though, there hasn't been comprehensive crypto bill in the US, negative or positive. That's weird. It's not such a bad thing that they're like, we got to ban this thing. But it's also like not such like a great thing where they're like, do something to protect this. It's kind of just like apathetic still, which is better than negative. But I would like to see something happen on the stablecoin side, maybe by year end or something. I don't know. I'd like to see some recognition from Congress on the industry somewhere, which I think we'll get. What do you think you're timing on anything, for better or for worse, for that matter, for Congress to act? I think you get something by year end, but I think it's going to be stablecoin related. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a huge step forward. I think that if you just follow crypto Twitter, the headlines, it sounds like there's an all-out war against banning crypto. And then I think from people talking to Congress, to your point, it's more apathetic, where it's like, yes, we'll get to this, but this isn't their top priority by any means. It is not a priority. It is not a priority for the majority of the voting public. I think we live in a bubble where we think this stuff matters. It's definitely not like a voting issue for people. Obviously, there's the war on army against crypto. I was trying to think about this, too, of... There's definitely issues that are single issue where people are anti and there's four. There's gun rights, there's abortion, there's topics that there's clearly a for and against camp. I know there's a lot of people, we get to meet them, that are for crypto, but I, I haven't met someone who's truly anti-crypto. I've met someone who thinks you're wasting your time, you should move on, you should build something else. But I really find people that are like anti-crypto. So I've always been curious from a political standpoint, back to the kick the hornets, like what the goal is. I think they want it effectively either banned or neutered in a case that it might as well be banned. Yeah. All right, let's say we're going to end on a positive note, so I can't (laughs) end on that. Give us one more take that's worth closing the show on. Everything's still pretty much working. We lost some exchanges along the way, but like, I don't know. Prices are still higher than they were before COVID. I don't know. We're here. If you zoom out, it's not that bad. I like that. How's that? That's a great place to end. Dan, thank you for joining us. This has been great. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 